Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Well, this is now the third week of a series that we are calling Principles of Change. Our goal in this series is to help uh, you help give you some tools uh, to uh, come alongside the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life uh, to change the parts of your life that you'd like to change. Uh, the reality is, is that all of us need to change something. Uh, we all have parts of us that uh, need to be changed more and more into the likeness of Christ. Uh, and it's, so the series is really meant to help you close the gap between who the Scripture says you are in Christ and then your daily experience. And, and maybe you've experienced that uh, in your own life where you read scriptures uh, like in Second uh, Corinthians when Paul says anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Uh, and yet you feel like that throughout the week or your Monday experience is that you just struggle with the same old stuff. Uh, and, and there seems to be this get disconnect between the, the truths and the promises of scripture and what your daily experience. And, and this, this series is really meant to help give us some tools to close that gap. I hope that you've gained some, uh, first of all, new hope uh, in your life that change is, in fact, possible. Uh, I also hope that you've gained some new insight on how that change uh, can happen. We, we're building the series uh, around a whole series of questions. Uh, and just uh, because they really build on one another, I just want to quickly update us on where we've been so far in the series. Uh, in the first week, we looked at the question, why do you want to change? Uh, and we realized that many times our motivation to change is simply to impress or to prove ourselves to God or to others. Uh, that really what I want to do is I just want to be impressive or I want to earn God's love. Uh, but this ultimately means that we are changing for my own glory and not the glory of Christ. And so what we talked about is proper motivation for change is to change for God's glory so that he can be glorified through our life and that we can live more fully into our identity in Christ. And what we've tried to do is we've tried to break down these truths into just a, a simple principle. Uh, and if you'll open up your notes insert, you'll have those uh, principles for you as well. But what we said then is that change principle number one is that true change happens when our motivation to change is to glorify God and to live into our identity in Christ. That before we ever change, we, we've got to make sure that our motivation to change is, is right there and on point. The second question that we looked at when this was last week is we said, well, how are we going to change? Uh, what are the nuts and bolts then of, of going about this change in our life that we want to experience or that we want God to do in our lives? How are we going to do that? And what we realize is that change doesn't come through right thinking. It doesn't come through right belief. Certainly right belief and right thinking are very important, but that cannot stand all on its own and really change us. Uh, because change doesn't come through uh, either greater commitment or, uh, or, or effort or determined moral effort. Uh, it doesn't come through any of those things. What happens is change happens through the heart. That if we are going to change, our hearts have to change. Uh, because we realize that everything that we do is actually an overflow of the heart. And those were the words of Jesus. But then we said, well, then we asked the ever important question, well, then how do our hearts change? And what we ultimately realize is that uh, the way that our hearts are, are changed or shaped is, is through participating in habits that properly aim our hearts, our heart's desire. And, and we talked about how we really, if we want to start anywhere, the way to start is through the rhythms and rituals of, of worship together. Uh, that... That when we gather together on Sunday morning, what we're gathering together to do is not just express our love and our worship to God that is already there. 
uh, but rather we are here to be properly formed and properly shaped, uh, that, the, that our heart's desires would be properly aimed toward God. And so the act of coming to church um, is, is if you miss church, you're not just missing an opportunity to express your love to God, you're actually missing an opportunity to be shaped by God, uh, which is why uh, a regular pattern and rhythm uh, of worship is so important. And so what we did is we boiled it down to change principle number two, which, means re- which is this, real change comes from the heart, and the heart is shaped by participating in rhythms and rituals of worship. Uh, today's question then are, is, is this, what truths do you need to turn to? What truths do you need to turn to? If you are going to be, uh, if you're really going to change, if you're going to be different, then what truths do you need to turn to? And uh, I want to invite us to, to, to I actually I just want you, I want to invite you just to hear the word of God today, not, not worry about uh, churning to it, because it's a really short passage, it's a familiar passage, uh, but one that I think will anchor us in this idea of what truths do we need to turn to. Uh, it's found in John chapter 8, uh, just a couple verses, verse 31 and verse 32. Uh, and you can listen along as I read. It says, it says this, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching, then you really are my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Part of the beauty of Scripture is, is that a, a passage like this, or like verse 32, this, this famous passage, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, is that it can mean a lot of things. And, and there is certainly a lot of commentary that has been offered just on this one verse of, of what does Jesus mean and, and what, is the, uh, what, what can we understand from this, this phrase, the truth will set you free. And what I want to do this morning is I want to relate the freedom of the truth to our principles of change uh, that we've been talking about. And I want to start uh, by making what may sound like a pretty radical claim, uh, but I want to make the claim and, and the argument that behind every single sin in your life is a lie. Uh, behind every single sin in your life is a particular lie that has been believed. Uh, what I mean is this, that every time that we participate in sin, every time that we fall into temptation to sin, uh, we have been led into that sin because we have in fact believed a lie. Uh, now, most of the time, and I would, I would consider that the, the lie that we have believed falls into one of two categories. It is either, we have either believed a lie about who we are, uh, or to make it more personal, you have believed a lie about who you are, or you have been led into sin by believing a lie about who God is. We've either believed a lie about who we are or about who God is. Uh, but I, I believe that every time uh, we sin and every type of sin is connected to a lie of some sort. Uh, now, I would want to, there are some broad categories of lies, sort of the lies uh, that every other specific lie could kind of fit into, and so I want to offer those to you uh, because I think it will help us. And In other words, I want you to think about uh, the, the nature of sin uh, as, as kind of a, a tree, and at the top is, it's either a lie about God or a lie about who I am. 
Uh, underneath that, there are more specific lies, but they're still pretty broad categories of lies. And they are this. One lie <clears throat> that we often believe is, I am better off without God. I'm better off without God. Uh, you could take any number of sins uh, that we see in the world, maybe that we participate in our life, uh, maybe that we struggle with, uh, and you could connect that to the fact or, or this lie that we have believed that we are better off without God. Uh, another lie, kind of this broad category of lie, is that God's rule in my life is oppressive. Uh, we don't use the word rule very often, except for when we're talking about boundaries. And so I want you to think about it this way. God's reign or God's sovereignty in my life is oppressive. Sometimes we believe that lie, uh, that God actually doesn't have our best in mind, that God isn't really for us, that God doesn't really love us, and that his, uh, his rule, his reign, his sovereignty in our life is, is somehow uh, the same as, as an angry dictator would be over our lives. And when we believe that lie, it leads us into all sorts of other kinds of sin. Uh, another broad category of lie that we often tend to believe is that I can be free without God. We believe the lie, I'm better off without God, my, God's reign or sovereignty in my life is oppressive, or I can actually be free without God. Uh, the last one that I want to mention is that sometimes we believe the lie that sin offers us more than God offers. That sin offers more than God offers and can we just be honest for a moment this morning and say that whenever we think about sin, whenever we're tempted towards sin, whenever we have a sin that is just seems to be on, 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 a re, on repeat in our life, and, and it's just that we're kind of stuck in a cycle of sin or habitual sin, uh, the reality is, is that when we, the reason we keep turning to that is because that sin appears to offer us something. It is attractive to us in some way. And the lie that we tend to believe is that whatever this sin is offering to me is actually something that God cannot. And, and what we need to do is we need to, see behind, we need to see behind the curtain and realize that whatever it is that sin is offering to us, first of all, is false, and second of all, is already ours in Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, so every, behind every sin is a lie of some kind. Now, I've talked in, in, uh, I've, I've talked in very broad pictures. We believe the lie about who God is or about who we are in these four categories of lies. Uh, I, wanna, I want to offer one more uh, branch on the tree of, and, and be more specific. And be more specific because these broad categories of lies play out in countless specific lies in our life that we tend to believe. So if you're here this morning and you are struggling uh, with greed... Or perhaps you are struggling with lust. There's a good chance that you have believed the lie that what I have is not enough. And what I need cannot be found in God. So if you're here and you're struggling with a heart of greed, or you're struggling with lust, the lie that you have probably believed is that what I have is not enough. And what I need cannot be offered or found in Christ. If you're here today and in, your driving purpose in life is to gain acceptance or to gain approval, you have probably believed the very specific lie that you have to prove yourself to God. 
Uh, and, and God just wants to say to you today that you don't have to prove yourself to him. His love is given out freely and it has already been offered to you. Um, but there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of people in our culture where uh, their driving force in life, the, their motivation, the thing that animates their life is this desire for approval or acceptance. Uh, if you're here today and you are just struggling with worry and you are a worry wart and you just worry and anxiety and you just feel like there's this, this storm cloud that just follows you around, um, then there's a, a pretty good chance that you may be believing the lie that God is not sufficient to meet your need. That God is not sufficient to meet your need. If you're here today and you uh, are, are participating in the sin of busyness or overworking uh, or a rejection of Sabbath, uh, then there's a pretty good chance you believe the lie that God can't take care of things, and therefore I can't rest. Right? In fact, um, Sabbath is in fact a form of resistance against a busy culture. That in our culture of, of always going and busyness and, and like we wear our busyness like a trophy, right? Like how are things going? Oh man, I'm busy. I'm like, like crazy busy. And we sort of wear it like a medallion around our neck or a trophy. Like I'm more important because I'm busy, right? It, sometimes in our culture we believe that if we're not busy, we're not important. Or if we're not busy, then what we're doing doesn't matter, Right? Uh, but, but Sabbath and Sabbath keeping and the practice of Sabbath is actually a, a form of resistance against that busy culture. It's a way of, of, of saying, you know what? Uh, I, I, have, I have responsibilities in life, but for a season, for a moment, and in regular rhythm, I can participate in Sabbath. I can rest because God has this thing under control. And so Sabbath is a form of resistance. It is also a... a uh, pretty dramatic form of just trust in God, that God can take care of things while I choose to rest and restore myself. Um, But the problem is, is that believing any of these lies leads us into slavery. Uh, Because believing a lie leads us into sin, and sin always leads us into an entrapment of some kind, a, a slavery. Uh, there is no freedom found in sin. And so living according to these lies instead of uh, living according to these lies instead of truth always leads me into a life of being trapped and enslaved by those lies. And it's as though that every time I believe a lie, I'm actually setting the prison bars around my life into concrete. And so I believe a lie, and I, it's just like it's, it's planting the prison bars around myself until, I find, until we may find ourselves just completely trapped uh, by sin. Uh, now, let's admit out loud that so far this message has not been encouraging. <laughs> Some of you are like, come on, like the sun is shining, it's summer, like school is starting, be bright and chipper. Um, so let's get to the good news, shall we? Our passage this morning makes an opposite claim, uh, where it says, instead of sin setting us into slavery, uh, our passage this morning, Jesus makes it very clear uh, that truth sets us free. And so we have lies that are connected to slavery, and we have truth that is connected to freedom. 
You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So just as lies about God or about ourselves leads to slavery of sin, so the truth about God and the truth about ourselves leads us into freedom. And I believe that this is at least part of what Jesus was talking about when he said the truth will set you free. Free. I, I have to believe, again, there's a whole number of applications that we can make for these words from Jesus, but I believe that one of them has to be that Jesus knows that if we operate our lives believing lies, it's going to lead us into slavery. And so he says, if you will know the truth, then the natural consequence of knowing the truth will then lead you into freedom. Now let's talk about knowing. We have talked about in, uh, we talked about last week, in fact, that knowledge cannot set us free. Knowledge cannot change us. It has to change us from the heart. And so what Jesus is talking about is not just an intellectual knowledge of the truth. He's not just knowing uh, your set of propositions. He's not just saying, if you, do you know the correct answer in Sunday school class? What Jesus is saying is, will you, do you know the truth at a heart level? Do you believe it? Do you operate and orient your life around the truth? If that is the case, then the natural consequence is the truth will then lead you into freedom. But it has to go beyond our heads. It has to be moved from our heads into our hearts. Uh, and again, as a culture that just uh, that, that values, uh, values being smart and intellect, then it becomes very, very difficult to say, it's not enough for me to just know it up here. I need to know it in my heart as well. But that's what Jesus is talking about. If you know the truth, if you believe the truth, if you orient your life according to the truth, then in fact, that truth will set you free. For where sin rules, there is slavery. But where truth rules, there is in fact freedom. And so I want to say this. For all the multitude of lies that we can believe that will lead us into slavery. And we've talked about some of those this morning. The beautiful truth is that the truth and the beauty of the gospel answers every single lie that we believe. Every lie that we believe that leads us into sin, that ultimately leads us into slavery, the gospel of Jesus Christ offers a truth to answer that. Every time. Whatever the nature of the lie, the, God, the beauty of the gospel answers it every single time. Let me give you some examples. What I have is not enough and what I need cannot be found in God. That is the lie. But the truth of the gospel that answers that is that all that we have is a gift from God and God himself is enough. And we can operate our lives feeling as though God has uh, held out on us, that what I have is not enough and what I need cannot be found in God or God cannot supply that. We can operate our lives according to that and that will ultimately lead us into all sorts of greed because we're trying to get more in order to find our security, in order to find our worth, in order to just feel safe and all of these kinds of things where we want, we want more and more and more 
and we believe that God is not getting it, then we say, well, God uh, isn't giving it to me, so I'm earning it on my own, and it's not a gift from God, but it's mine, and we become very selfish in that attitude, and so it just leads us into this spiral of, of greed and selfishness, and the only way, church, to be set free from that is to begin to orient our life around the truth that all that we have, everything that we have is a gift from God, and God himself is enough. Does this make any sense? What I'm offering to you is, is, a, is a lifelong journey of trying to orient our hearts ultimately to the truth of God so that we can truly be set free and we can truly change. Uh, another lie that we tend to believe is that I have to prove myself to God, but I've already, as I've already said, uh, the truth is that God has already proven his love for me and that I'm already vindicated before him because of Christ. A lie that we tend to believe is that God is not sufficient to meet my need, but uh, the truth is that God has in fact provided for my every need in Jesus Christ. That whatever you are seeking, it's a legitimate desire. It's a legitimate desire to want to be loved and approved uh, and approved of. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a legitimate need, but we can meet that in illegitimate ways. And, and what the truth and the beauty of the gospel is, in fact, that what we desire so much and we tend to seek out in illegitimate ways is already our possession in Jesus Christ. A lie that, another lie that we tend to believe is that God can't take care of things, but the truth is that God rules over the earth and he is making all things new. And isn't that, isn't that exactly what we tend to believe when things just go run completely amok in our lives. And we just say, you know what? God just can't take care of things. He's not capable. He's not capable of taking care of things because this has happened. And if we, can, if we believe that, then all of a sudden we may find that we've just totally abandoned the faith altogether. Or we've decided that maybe God uh, is powerful, but he isn't good. And if someone's powerful, but they're not good, they can't be trusted. Or maybe we've decided that God is good, but he just isn't powerful enough to stop this thing that happened in my life. And if, if God is good, but he's not powerful, then he shouldn't be worshipped. And, and really what the truth is that God is, rules over all the earth, and he is, in the, he is doing the work, and he's inviting his people into the work of making all things new. And so we need to come to the truth that God is both good and God is powerful. God is good and he is powerful, but he does not display his power in the ways in which we typically think of power. God displays his power by working in and amongst his people. God displays his power like, like yeast makes its way into bread in order to make it rise. And so we need to learn, church, to orient our life around the truth if we're ever going to change. And so change principle number three, and this is what I want to give to you this morning. Change principle number three is that change comes from continually revisiting the truths of the gospel to dispel the lies I tend to believe. Change principle number three. Change comes from continually revisiting the truths of the gospel in order to dispel the, the lies that I tend to believe. And I want you to hear this. This is worded very intentionally that I need to continually revisit the truths of the gospel because lies tend to get into our life and into our heart and lies can be very easy to believe. 
But the truths of the gospel need to, we just need a steady diet of the truth. And we need to turn to the truth over and over and over again. And as we turn to the truth over and over again, what happens is, again, our hearts are shaped, our hearts are changed, and we're given a level of discernment to recognize lies more readily. Are you with me? And so it's this continually revisiting the truths of the gospel in order to dispel the lies that I tend to believe. That's how change happens. And so if we're, but the truth is, if we're going to continually revisit the truths of the gospel, we have to learn to preach to ourselves. You have to learn to preach to yourself. I think it's great that you come and visit this place every seven days. I think it's mind-blowing that you would offer me 30 minutes of your week to do my best to speak God's truth into your life. But that has limits. There are limitations to what can be done from the pulpit. So we need to learn to preach to ourselves, preach truth to ourselves throughout the week, identify the lies that we're believing, and then begin to just give ourselves a steady diet of the truth. Famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? (laughs) Just to drive this point home, I want to offer you uh, an illustration, or let me illustrate this truth this way. Every spring we plant a garden. When we go out there in the spring, we have to weed the garden in order to make room for the plants. Uh, Because in the late fall, after everything is harvested, and then in the early spring, weeds have sprung up. Uh, And I know we hate weeds. You have to weed the garden if you want to plant it. This spring we planted carrots that take a long time to grow, and lettuce that grows quickly and is harvested early in the season. Most of you are better gardeners than me. You didn't need that information. But just in case someone was more ignorant about gardening than me, I wanted to offer that. Now, this summer was really busy for us, right? Trophy, medallion, we were super busy because we're so important. Um, So this summer was really busy for us. However, uh, after, uh, after we harvested the lettuce, we didn't plant anything beside the carrots. Uh, So when we went to harvest the carrots, what we noticed, and you can guess what happened, is that the whole garden was then filled with weeds because we didn't plant anything in their place. Turning to truths instead of lies is a bit like weeding and planting. Weeding and planting. Because we need to weed out the lies that we have believed about ourselves or about God. But just weeding out those lies simply is not enough. What we need is we need to plant truth right back in its place. Because if you weed out a lie but you don't plant a truth, then a lie will crop right up in the same exact place. You have to root it out. And so you pull a weed and then you plant some lettuce. You pull a weed and then you plant a carrot. You weed out a lie, you plant a truth. You weed out a lie, you plant a truth. You weed out a lie, you plant a truth. Welcome to discipleship. This is Christian maturity. Weeding out lies that we tend to believe and then planting the truths of the gospel in order to dispel those lies in our life. 
And sometimes when we have planted a truth, a weed will come up right next to it. It's very closely related. We might even call it the same thing. You weed it out and you plant the truth. Now you got two seeds of truth right next to one another in, in the place of that weed, right? And sometimes we are up to hundreds of truths in the same little weed that keeps coming up, but we do it over and over and over again. Because if all we ever did was just weed it out, then we've got an open garden to believe lies. But we have to plant truth. You know, I would argue that a big part of the reason that we don't change where we can go from year after year after year and now decades and now another decade and not change is, is maybe because we just haven't been tending to the garden of our soul. I told somebody yesterday during our work day that I don't really like landscape work. The reason I don't like landscape work is it is hard work. <laughs> it's hard work. Kirk and I were laying some fabric where we put a bunch of mulch. And I said, Kirk, I've had all the, that I can handle of laying landscape fabric today. My back is sore. My knees hurt. My, my grip has gone weak because I've been pounding the, the rubber mallet so much. I came home, Amy had lovingly cleared our garden and said, would you lay this weed mat down for us? <laughs> and I said, I guess I haven't had all that I can handle. I guess I can do a little bit more. But the reality is, is that just as landscape work, gardening um, is hard work, so is tending to our soul. Tending to our soul is not easy work. It's hard work, but it's work that needs to be done. And I believe that if you, were, if you will tend your soul in the same way that you would tend a garden, you will find that over time you have changed. And I don't know if I've said this yet in this series, but I want to say it explicitly this time, this week. Because we live in such a, a busy, fast-paced culture, we really expect to be changed in a moment. We really expect that Oh, this is a problem. I've identified the problem. I want to change. Here's the solution. I apply that. I do that. I believe that truth. I think right. I do this. Participate in that. Blah, blah, blah. Boom. Done. Sunday to Sunday. I'm changed. And can I just say that the Spirit of God usually doesn't work like that. Now, sometimes he will. Sometimes he'll take this thing in your life that needs to change. He will come in with his power, and in a moment it will change. And that is miraculous, and we praise God for that. But more often than not, God is calling us to attending of the garden of our soul. And the change happens over time. So when I look at the person I was a year ago, and I look at the person I am today, while there was no sort of distinguishable event in that period of time, I find that, in fact, I'm different. I'm more the person that I want to be now than I was. Or if we don't tend the garden, we find that I am less the person I was. And I'm not reflecting the glory of God in the ways that I would like. We need to tend to the garden of our soul. Now, I want to leave you today with, uh, I think, are, with, which are two key truths 
foundational truths that I think we need to turn to again and again. Because remember, change happens by continually revisiting the truths of the gospel, turning into our truth instead of lies. And I want to offer you two truths that I feel like answer a whole bunch of, of lies uh, that we can turn to, um, and I want to offer them to you this morning. The first one is that God is good, so you don't have to look elsewhere. God is good, and so you don't have to look elsewhere. Our sin is often a symptom that we are pursuing something that our hearts desire. If you'll remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she was looking for love and significance and meaning, but she was looking for it in marriage, sex, and intimacy, and she was looking for it in all of the wrong places. And she had had five different husbands and was now with a sixth man. And if you read that narrative, you kind of wonder, what does her relationship status have to do with what's happening in the story? And it's, it's, it's exactly related because uh, Jesus says, the water that I offer, you will never thirst again. And what she was demonstrating in her life and what Jesus knew about her is that she had all kinds of desires that she was looking to meet in all the wrong ways. And Jesus was offering her a soul-satisfying kind of what he called water. He says what you're looking for is not found in any of these relationships that you've had or the relationship that you're in. What you're looking for is found in, in fact, Christ. In fact, I would say this, that what she was looking for was already hers in Christ if she would just turn to him. There was no need to look elsewhere because God is good. And I want to remind somebody today that what you are looking for can be found in Christ What you are looking for, what you are pursuing with such diligence is already yours in Jesus Christ and can be found in him. God is good. He is not holding out on you. He isn't punishing you. He delights in you and he invites you to delight in him and find what you are looking for. The second truth that we need to turn to often is that God is love so you don't have to prove yourself. This has really been a big theme throughout the series because it is such a Uh, a, a big thing in our life and in our culture. And so just very briefly, I want to say God is love, so you don't have to prove yourself. As I've mentioned throughout the series, so much of our lives are spent trying to prove ourselves to God or prove ourselves to others. And I would just say this is an unnecessary pursuit. It is an unnecessary pursuit to try to prove your worth to another person because you are already inherently valuable. Now, when it comes to a job interview and you're uh, trying to prove your skills for the job, that's a good time to prove yourself. As long as you don't attach your worth to that. So when I say you don't have to prove yourself, I'm not saying that you should underperform in a job or at a job interview. What I am saying is you should not attach your value as a person to your performance. And here's why. God completely rejects that metric. That metric of defining and determining worth does not exist in God's heart and mind. In fact, we've come up with all kinds of metrics to uh, evaluate a person's value. Um, in fact, our culture determines value based on your level of productivity, your income, your possessions, your ethnicity. And God rejects all of those metrics. And so should the church. Do you hear me? See, our culture wants to determine value 
based on level of production, income, possessions, ethnicity, and a whole score of other metrics. God rejects all of those metrics for determining value, and so should the church. What God does is he looks you in the eyes, he sees your brokenness, and he says, I love you. God looks you straight in the eyes, sees you in all of your brokenness, and says, I love you. God is not determining your value based on any of the metrics that our culture uses. God is determining your value based on one metric and one metric only. Are you breathing? Are you created by him? The answer is yes. He loves you. You have, you have immeasurable worth in his eyes. And, and so whenever we're, are, whenever we're tempted to attach our value to any of the metrics that the culture around us is t- attaching our value to, then we are believing a lie. And what we need to do is just return to the truth that God is love. And so I don't have to prove myself. God loves me, so I don't have to prove myself anymore. And I think, church, that that is phenomenal news. That's good news.